All right, it's good to be here this morning with you. Um, I know for our Carrollton crew, uh, school starts tomorrow, and uh, it's time to get back to uh, the classroom and all the studies and all that goes on. And um, some of us uh, had kind of a rocky evening last night with some storms, some rain, and so thank the Lord for some unexpected rain uh, here, especially I know on this part of town. Uh, it's pretty good, so uh, thank the Lord for that. Um, some of you guys may have seen um, or have seen maybe whether in the theaters or now uh, in your home, uh, the movie that was uh, came out in 2017, uh, The Greatest Showman. Uh, many of you guys probably uh, love the, the music to it. Um, in fact, if I started stomping my foot this morning, you'd probably, you know, come on, get it going. You'd probably be like, yeah. Uh, but you can barely hear what that guy says, ladies and gentlemen. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, I can barely, what are you saying? All right, so uh, love the soundtrack to that movie. But to kind of go into that movie a little bit this morning, we think about uh, P.T. Barnum uh, as he's portrayed in the film. Um, he, he wants to be a part of something. He wants to do something that's alive. And he brings these that would be viewed as the least of these characters in his community and, and welcomes them uh, to be a part of something that's alive, a show, obviously to entertain, but it's amazing how he goes and he finds this one who is short in stature and he tells him, hey, listen, you can be this, this great military soldier that can ride on this horse and everybody's going to look at you and clap and and, and see you as that. And then he goes, finds this lady with this angelic voice, yet her features are quite different with a full beard, and um, yet she is the one that will sing later, this is me. And uh, So you see P.T. Barnum going and gathering these, that the society that they are in, um, they're not accepted by them. In fact, as the show continues on, uh, we see the dismay by some, but yet they'll come to the show. And they'll come and be entertained. But you see about halfway through the film, though, Barnum, what happens? He gets attracted to the status, to the wealth, to the prominence and the popularity. Um, and drifts from those he selected to be in his show. Those whom he once invited in, he seems to turn away. But then tragedy comes as a fire comes and in some other personal tragedy we see, um, he's awakened to his heir. And we see that this group, some may say misfits, some may say outcasts, um, see what PT has done as providing them a family, something they can be a part of that made them feel really alive, that they had a place. What I love about our story today the parables that we hear about, um, is Jesus does that when it comes to the kingdom of God. When he portrays the kingdom of God, it's for the outcasts. It's for the poor. It's for the lame. It's for the least of these that he invites in. It's not about status. It's not about what you have. It's not about what you wear, how much money you make, or anything of the sorts. But instead, Jesus gives an invitation and he gives an invitation to everybody, of all nations, of all peoples, of all walks of life, to come and be a part of something that is too good to be true. And it's about grace. 
And we see that this morning. As we look at this text this morning, we see a lot. There are three parables that are shared in one setting of a context uh, that is perfect. As Jesus uh, is at the home of a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. And that's where I want to begin this morning. As we look at this, I want you to think about uh, times maybe that you've been invited to a party, an event, or some special occasion where you got the invitation, you're like, man, this is just way, way too cool. This is too good to be true that I would be invited to this. Or maybe you've been given a gift card to some restaurant that is like, you know, I can never afford that. Uh, there's no way I could go to this place. And you went to that place, and with every bite, you're like, man, this is too good to be true. And so this morning, there's an invitation that is too good to be true. And so let's look at it this morning. Jesus is at the home of this member of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. And it says in verse 1, it happened that he went to this house, and they were watching him closely. He had been invited to eat bread. That phrase means he was invited to a meal. Now, this setting here where he's invited to, to this meal, um, is more of a formal setting. It may be even be called a banquet of sorts. And so Jesus is invited of this Jewish religious leader. The question is maybe why? Why is Jesus invited? Maybe this man is intrigued by Jesus. Maybe, like some, um, they found his teaching interesting. Some may be even attracted to it and drawn to it. On the other hand, many occasions they would try to trap Jesus, to try to get him in a tough spot when it came to the law and to what Jesus was teaching, and this could have very well be one of those occasions as well. Um, it also says in verse 2, there in front of Jesus was a man suffering from dropsy. And so here is Jesus. He's with all these religious-ites, and they are sitting around what we would call maybe a, a small little table, and they're reclining on small couches or pillows and kind of laying down in a position that would uh, traditionally take place at a, at a formal setting back then. And it was kind of a U-shaped setting around this table with the host at the head of the table. And there present was this man who had dropsy or edema. Edema is the swelling of the body. And so this man is, is pretty ballooned up to where it's noticeable. That was caused by either a bad heart or bad kidneys. And so he's present at this formal setting. And this is the setting that Jesus gives us to um, teach us a few things about our hearts. Do we have a religious heart? Or do we have a heart of grace? And then to give us a picture as well about the kingdom of God and, and who is invited and what does that mean for us. In fact, the last parable is kind of going to be left unended to where it implies that it speaks most definitely even to us in this room today who are part of the kingdom. And so it's very interesting. Look at verse 3. As he's at this dinner, Jesus answered and he spoke to the lawyers and he said this to the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. They didn't say anything. And he took hold of him, this one who has dropsy, and he healed him. And he sent him away. And he said to them that were present, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. Um, this is an interesting thing to bring up at a banquet, all right? And I don't know if this is Jesus' way of 
um, presenting the icebreaker for the gathering or what, but Jesus brings this question up. He says, hey, listen, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Um, those of the religious crew that he is with, uh, they would follow what was called the elder's tradition. And in their view, you um, would, c- could not give medical treatment on a Sabbath day unless it was a life or death situation. But yet the law didn't forbid any type of healing on the Sabbath, as we saw last week. And so Jesus is posing this question to the religious crew, and then he turns to this man, and he heals him right there on the Sabbath day. And then he sends him away. Why does he send the men away? Well, I think, personally, not to make it about the man. But instead, he wants to make it about this controversy, this issue of the Sabbath. Remember last week, it seemed a little bit they were rebuking the woman. But this week, Jesus sends the man away to make it about the issue at hand. And so he asks them, if your son, a family member, or this oxen who is important to your daily living and to your work, if they fell into a well, would you not get them out of the well? Well, the answer is, of course they would, even on a Sabbath. So what is Jesus saying here? You are a hypocrite. You will not have anything to do with this man on the Sabbath, but yet a family member or an animal that's important to you, you will help. And they would show mercy and compassion and acts of good and kindness to whom they wanted to show. And not to the outcast, not to the poor, not to the lame, and not to the sick. And they would use the law as the excuse. Jesus shows us here, though, love. Especially for the sick, especially for the suffering, especially for the hurting and what was the response? Nothing. Silence. Can you imagine this? This is a banquet you've been invited to, and you've just silenced the whole room, right? And so this sets up a great time for teaching. <laughs> and so Jesus does the very thing, and their hearts are revealed for what they really are. Look at verse 7. He began speaking a parable. He began to teach a story to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. And he will say this to them. Now, before Jesus begins to teach, he's at this banquet setting, and this invited crew, these guests, um, were seeking to sit closest to the host. And that's what people sometimes would do. Now, why would they do that? Someone said in the 9 o'clock hour, um, to maybe get food first, maybe to bend the ear of the host to see what newest learning or newest teaching they had. Remember, this is one who's high up in the religious uh, ladder of the Jewish circle. Uh, but the issue here is status. In that, in that culture, you wanted to sit next to the host because it was a place of prominence. It was a place of position, a place of importance. And they wanted to feel important, like they were somebody or like they were something because they were closest to the host. And then he continues. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place. That's kind of like in the back of the classroom, right? He says, so that when the one who's invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. 
Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts, and here's his point, himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does Jesus do when the people are walking in? He watches not to see what they're wearing or what they have or who they are, but instead he's looking at their hearts. He's looking at their motive. He watches to see where their treasure lies. And these guests love the praise of man. They want to be closest to the host because they want to be important. They love the praise of man. Now this is a good lesson for us all. And Jesus here is going to address some social and ethical things, but above all, this is about the kingdom. And what's the kingdom about? Well, Jesus would say those who are part of the kingdom have hearts that are humble. When they interact with others, it's not their self-interest that they care first about, but they put the interest of others first. It's not about earthly interest, but instead it's eternal interest. And so what about us? Are we seeking prominence and importance or self-exaltation in this life? Are we seeking to be the cool kid? Are we seeking popularity? I was with a friend of mine this week, and he was telling me a story. Uh, he has a friend who's the CEO of Cisco. He was telling me a story about how this gentleman, this friend of his, uh, parks, even though he's got the very high status of Cisco, he parks the farthest that he can at his place of work. Beyond the trucks, the delivery trucks, the work trucks, he parks as far as he can, and he will find the farthest parking place every day. And he will walk all that way to his office, and he'll walk past the delivery men and all these people, and his whole reason, he says, he says this, he says, I want people to see me just as they are. That just because I have this position doesn't mean I'm better than them. I work just like they do. They work just like I do. And that's what Jesus is showing us here. That we are to be men and women that are humble. That we're not just seeking to, be, to have this status, this importance as the world sees it. But instead, we have humble hearts. And that's what Jesus longs for here, for us to have. Those who have humble hearts in the kingdom here on earth will be exalted one day. But those who seek to exalt themselves now will one day find humiliation and humility. And so Jesus continues. Now you would think at this point he might be kicked out, right? You might be thinking, you know what, dude? You've questioned our theology. You've healed a guy. You now are teaching us and telling us that, hey, our seating arrangement is all wrong. And, man, you're out, dude. He's still there. Look what happens. He went on to say, uh, to those who had invited him. So now who is he talking to? To the host. He says this, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What is this about? I think the key word, as we observe this, is repayment, right? So when you do something, when you invite somebody over, when you do something for somebody, are you hoping you get repaid for it? 
in some way. Maybe they'll invite me back, or maybe they'll do this for me. And Jesus is addressing our heart and our motives. Now, this is interesting. This is a very radical teaching here. Who says these kinds of words? I mean, that's probably what they're thinking around the table. Well, who says these kinds of words are those, is one who says, my kingdom is not of this world. And that's what Jesus says. What's this about? It's about self-denial. Instead of self-interest. It's about eternal interest instead of earthly interests. So think about this. When it comes to hospitality, obviously that's the setting here. Who do you invite to your house? Now, is Jesus saying you should never invite your family, you should invite friends and all that? No, right? He's not saying that. But he's addressing the heart of, are you expecting something in return? Instead, invite those who can't repay you. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the outcasts. So think about this. When was the last time we extended hospitalities to someone in such a way that it would only be paid back to us in the future resurrection? That's what Jesus is saying. When's the last time we've done that? And that's what the kingdom is about. That's what the kingdom is about. He wants us to have hearts like that. Instead of like the religious leaders who didn't care about the men and the, with dropsy, didn't care about those without any social status, the poor, the lame, the sick, the suffering. But Jesus and the kingdom of God, it's merciful. It's gracious. And Jesus is the host who invites the guests that are the least of these. And so Jesus teaches to the guests. He teaches to the host. Ethical lessons, you bet. But it's also about the kingdom of God. And there's one present who recognizes this. It says in verse 15, when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. No doubt, this one who asked this question seemed to have some background of the Old Testament. As Jesus is referring to a wedding feast, a great banquet. And the Old Testament does that to speak about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus takes the opportunity with this statement at the table to continue to teach. And so look what happens in verse 16. He's going to talk about this kingdom party. Again, we're going to see the... Um, key essentials or the observations being about invitation and again a great banquet or a great dinner and so look at verse 16 he said to this man a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited come for everything is ready now so jesus at this table has dealt with the heart he wants us to have a humbled heart. He wants us to have a heart that's not simply looking out for our own interest. He wants us to have a loving heart, to care for those who are lame and sick and broken and poor, those who can't repay us on this side of earth. He wants us to be kind to them, and caring to them and hospitable to them. But here he gives us a story of this great banquet similar to to what he's at. He's at this formal setting where there's dinner served and no doubt a great scene for this teaching. And he talks about this banquet that this one is having, this dinner. 
And he is going to invite the village. He's going to invite different people in the village. And so what was common back then, if you were going to have a formal setting or a banquet or a party at your house, here's what you would do. You would send out an invitation, maybe a couple weeks before, maybe a week before or so. And back then, if you got an invitation, it was very rarely that you would turn it down. It was very common that people go. It was a, it was a sign of respect. It was a sign of, of honor toward the one who invited you. But there would be a second invitation as well. There would always be a second invitation. Part of the reason was for those who received the invitation that they knew for sure you wanted them there. And so the second invite would go out. Usually the second invite would be a messenger or somebody who would come to your door or uh, in that village, maybe uh, someone would declare, hey, the, the banquet that you're invited to, this party that so-and-so is having, the hour has come. It's here. And so the host would receive the acceptance of the invitation from many in the village. And he would get the meat. They would start preparing the meal. Uh, everything would get ready. Everything would build up. Things would start rolling. Uh, and you would not renege your acceptance. If you did, if you came back or maybe you didn't show up or maybe you turned the invitation down that you accepted, um, back then it was basically duty-bound that you would come. Otherwise, it was a sign of disrespect. And so Jesus gives a picture of that. And here is this one who comes out. The hour of the banquet is upon him. And one comes out and says, come, for everything is ready now. The meat is ready. The meal is ready. The host is ready. So there's excitement. This is a party. This is a great big banquet. But as we read in the parable, it takes quite an unexpected turn. And so look what Jesus says in verse 18. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first one said, to the host who had invited him. I've bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. So here's what's going to happen in this story that Jesus is going to tell. It has kind of a, a repetition with the same theme. The excuses go like this. I, I did this, thus I must do this. Therefore, excuse me. Okay, So it's kind of going to roll like that. So the first guy has a pretty lame excuse and what we would call really a bold-faced lie. Now, why is that? Well, back in the culture of the Middle East, everyone knows that if you buy a field, um, you would know every square foot of it before you bought it. You would know where the wells were. You would know where all the trees, you would know everything about it. And so he is trying to get the host to think or to believe that a field has been bought sight unseen which was unheard of. Plus, the purchase process of a field and, and land back then potentially took years. Yet this guy is saying, I've, I've bought it, and yet now I've got to go look at it. What is that? That's, that's a lie. And what we see right here is, is disrespect. We see a break in relationship. And then we see a second excuse Lame as the first. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And so here you have this one who 
is making the host believe that he's bought this, this crew of oxen to work for him, to pull together. Yet he hasn't seen them yet. And that wouldn't be the case back then. You would have a marketplace, and part of that marketplace would have some land. And the oxen that were being sold, they would usually be put in groups of five. And you would get to see them pull together and work together, and then you would buy them. If a neighbor was selling oxen even, what would happen is this neighbor would let the oxen be seen and viewed so that word would get out, hey, I'm selling them, and they are in good shape. And then people would come and view them before they would buy them. So there would be no scenario where this would be true. It'd kind of be like this. Ladies, if, if your husband um, called you one day before uh, he was leaving work and said, hey, listen, honey, I, I bought five cars today. I don't have a clue if they're running or anything like that, but I'm going to go check them out, right? But he's bought them, right? That's lame, all right? That's probably not going to be true, or we're going to need to get checked in somewhere. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of that's tough. So anyway, so that's what's happening here. This is a very lame excuse. It's, it's a lie. And then look at the third. The third, a little different, Verse 20, another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. So he just states, I've done this, but doesn't say, because of that, I'm going to do this. He just says, I've married a wife, and therefore, I cannot come, or that's the reason I cannot come. So here's the deal. Um, The wedding wasn't that day. If it was, this host wouldn't be doing the banquet, okay? that would be a reasonable excuse. But that's not the case. We don't know the reason why. Whatever the case is, it's lame as well. And that's the point that Jesus is making, is these are mere excuses. There's no truth to them. They're lies. They're lies. On why they will not accept the invitation. So listen to what happens in verse 21. The slave came back, reported this to the master about all these excuses. Then the head of the household became angry, rightfully so. Man, I've made this whole spread. I've been getting ready for it. Then he looks at his slave, his messenger, and says, Go out at once into the streets, the lanes, the city. Bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Wow. Surprising. As this host receives the news, he's rightfully angry. But his next move, his next response, no doubt, it's surprising because what does he show? He shows grace that is too good to be true. Can you imagine the slave upon hearing this in this story? You want to do what? You want to bring in who? We're going from the high upper religious class of the Jewish community and now we're going to go to the low of the Jewish community? Really? Really? So instead of vengeance, he invites the outcasts, the have-nots of the village. They're from the city. They're part of the community, but they are pushed out of community life. They're looked down upon. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom party, uh, the banquet that is referenced here. The idea of this parable is a symbol. It's a symbol used in the Old Testament to speak of salvation. Uh, it is commonly referred to as the Messianic banquet. 
uh, that we find in the Old Testament as well. And I want you to, to read with me, if you would. There's a place in Isaiah 25 that speaks of this. There's other places as well, but commonly this is the place that people go to. But I want you to hear this. If you'll just listen to it, it's on the screen as well. But it says, God says, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet, literally a feast of things for all peoples on this mountain. So all people of all different backgrounds, ethnicities, nations. And so he'll prepare this up on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine of choice pieces with marrow and refined aged uh, wine. And so this is going to be a party, right? I mean, with the best of food, the richest of foods. And then he says, on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil, which is stretched over all nations. Now, what is this covering? Okay. It, and especially when you go down to verse 8, we'll kind of get this theme run through it. But this is looking ahead. This is very messianic uh, when it comes to it. But these coverings literally are in this veil is, is death coverings, death clothes. And so the idea here that the prophet is picturing that God wants us to see is that God will swallow those coverings up. He will take our deadness, literally, and remove it. It's kind of the idea. He will do that for the people's. And then look at verse 8. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is a beautiful text, looking ahead to what Jesus will do on the cross. What Jesus will do through his resurrection reminds us of places like 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, oh, death, where is your victory? But it's been swallowed up, right? Death has in great victory by Jesus Christ. And that's what you have a picture of right here. And what's the setting of this? That, that those who have experienced this, who have partaken in this banquet, here's what I would say. Both here, now, presently, will experience it also in the future. And that's what the kingdom of God is, isn't it? The kingdom of God is here, but not yet. Uh, the kingdom of God has come, but is coming. We heard a passage earlier in our time of worship in Revelation 22 where Jesus tell us, tells us that he is coming again. And at that time, the great banquet of salvation, the great messianic banquet will be complete, will culminate where all of what we read here will happen. But the invitation is now. The work of God has been done. The work of Jesus on the cross has happened so that we can have our death clothes removed. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, that all of us, because of sin, have these death clothes on. Even though we're alive and we're moving, we're breathing, because of sin, we are dead. But Jesus died for us. He died on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven, to give us a free gift of eternal life, which is only found in him. If we would accept the invitation, the invitation that we see right here, 
is free. It's a free invitation where all can come. And that's what grace is. And that's what we see right here. And can you imagine if you're the poor, the lame in this parable and you receive now this invitation to say, hey, come. Come and be a part of this feast, this banquet. Could you sit there and go, man, this is too good to be true. What's up? What's the trick? Well, there is no trick. No trap. You, you come. Have this seat. Sit next to the host. And that's what Jesus invites them to. I want you to see something, though. It's pretty cool. The point's clear that Jesus is making. Messiah is here. And he's saying, come. But look at this, verse 22 and 23. The slave said to the master, what you commanded has been done. So he has gone out, and he has invited the sick, the lame, and the poor. Right? What's interesting about this, when you think about the ministry of Jesus, it's true. That has happened. Right? Jesus came and he did that. We'll see that as we continue through Luke. But he says back to his master, the slave does, there is room. There's still room for more to come. So look at this. Look at verse 23. I find this the most interesting verse in all the morning. Right? Here's why. Because it's the only part of the parable that's not finished. See it. Here's what it says. The master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges. Highways are the well-traveled roads. The hedges are literally the fences along the roads. And so these would be places that um, travelers, those without maybe a home or a place to stay, the poor, they would find protection along these hedges or these fences. And so he said, go to the hedges. And then he says, compel them, right? Give them a reason. Tell them why. Tell them why they, they don't want to miss out on this. So compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. And then I want to read 24 because I want you to see how 23 is not done. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited, those who gave the excuses, shall taste of my dinner. Now, Let's handle verse 24, and then we'll go back to 23. 24, I don't know what happened after that. I don't know if the host stood up and said, all right, you need to go now. I don't know, because that, that right there is convicting. Because that's basically saying to the religious leaders and those present at the banquet, that's what you guys have done. I, I've given the invitation of the kingdom of God for you to follow me, but you've given excuses, like Sabbath day excuses and all these many different things of why you can't follow me. And I just want you to know this. You shall not taste of my dinner. That's the point Jesus is making. But in verse 23, here's what he's saying. In his ministry, and his work, I've, I've gone to the Jews that are the outcasts who aren't accepted by the religious leaders. I've gone to them. The, my ministry has gone to them. But this parable's unending. And so what does that mean? Well, I think it's pointing to the work that's still left to be done, to go to the nations. And Jesus is speaking of the Gentiles here. That we're to go to the highways and the hedges. And the likes of Peter and the likes of Paul and the early church from yesterday even up to today has answered that call. 
And so we hear this in this parable this morning, and it's left unfinished. Why? Because the task is not done. It's not done. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus says, um, you will know it's done when you see me when I return. That's when it will be complete. And so the invitation of the banquet is for the nations. And the message is for us, twofold. The invitation is for us all to come and be a part of the banquet, no matter what our status is here on earth. And we're to come into the kingdom and have humble hearts that are loving and caring toward others and hearts that compel others to come and be a part of the kingdom of God here and now. And we're to go to the ends of the world. And we're to compel them to the point where people will say, what have I done to earn this? I can't pay this back. So much so where people say, does, does he know who I am? Does he know what I have done? How could I be invited into something that's too good to be true? And all of us in here who know Jesus would say, yeah, that's my story. It's too good to be true that he would invite me in. But that's what grace does. And that's what Jesus has done. And so today, as we hear this beautiful story, I want to ask you, how have you responded to the invite? How have you responded to Jesus' invite to come to this kingdom party? Because the invite has been given. Have you said yes? Or have you given excuses? I want to encourage you today to not let This time pass, tomorrow pass, without accepting it. Saying yes to Jesus. He's died. He's taken our place so that our death clothes could be swallowed up. And if we would simply trust in him and accept this invitation of grace, we'll be part of the kingdom. We'll have a relationship with him, eternal life with him. It's free. It's free. All we have to do is accept. Now it's interesting. That's the message today. Next week we'll see those who are invited to the banquet who accept the free gift of eternal life. There are responsibilities. We'll see that next week. But today, I want you to hear the invitation is free. As John comes and we close our time during this great morning, we're going to come around the communion table and take bread and take the cup. What's amazing about what we've just heard is this time of communion, uh, communion is continuing this table fellowship, this, this idea of this banquet. As we anticipate the risen Lord to come again one day and where the completion of the banquet will happen. And so as we sit around with this bread and with the cup this morning and remember what Jesus has done for us we're looking forward. We're anticipating as we remember this morning.
And so let's remember that, that yes, he is coming again, and he will bring a completion, and it will be a party that is too good to be true. It will be amazing. Until then, let us have humble hearts to love the least of these and to compel all to be a part, to accept the invitation.